Marvelites. Welcome to episode 14 of This Week in Marvel, the official Marvel podcast of all news, information, and fun stuff. I'm Ryan Panagos, also known as Agent M, and I am the uh, executive editorial director for Marvel Digital Media Group and Marvel.com, joined by... I am Ben Morse, also known as Ben Morse, the associate editor of Marvel.com, and I am joined here in our New York HQ by our intern, Nancy Nguyen. Is that how you say it, Nancy? I'm asking it right now. No. no, it's not how you say it. It's close. I pronounced Nancy correctly. How do you say it? Win. Win. All silent. Yeah, so In. boom. That's some knowledge for us all. Um, I just got back this morning from a red-eye flight. I was in Los Angeles for some crazy, exciting Avengers stuff. We're going to get to a lot of Avengers action. Uh, Marvel's The Avengers, the film, throughout the podcast. We've got stuff to talk about. Um, but yesterday I hung out with Joss Whedon, Clark Gregg, Samuel Jackson. We had uh, Tom Hiddleston on the phone. We were doing a big Twitter chat. It was a lot of fun. Um, Joss Whedon, I stole his notes from the Twitter chat. They're just his answers to the questions we were getting from fans, but now I have pure Joss Whedon magic energy, um, so I'm going to be selling that to the highest bidder, and we'll find out more about that later, but uh, if you're just joining us for the first time on This Week in Marvel, we talk about all kinds of stuff, and we go through comics on sale, uh, TV shows, all that good stuff, so we're going to start with the comics available for this week. We're going to start off right with Amazing Spider-Man number 679, written by Dan Slott with art by Umberto Ramos. This is the second part of a two-part story uh, that ended on the cliffhanger of Spider-Man and, or rather, Peter Parker as Spider-Man and one of his buddies at Horizon Labs had used a time machine to determine that uh, there was basically, there was basically a, a doomsday scenario coming. And they didn't know what was going to cause it. They stepped a day into the future and realized that if Peter Parker didn't do everything he was supposed to do, uh, the universe would be screwed up and everything would come to an end. We ended last issue with them hitting kind of ground zero. And they get a stay of execution in this issue, so they have another issue to figure out what's going on. But this is just a fun half action, half mystery, half comedy, a lot of heart, kind of Spider-Man just swinging around the city with his buddy at Horizon Labs, Grady. So his buddy Grady's back, basically, uh, back at Horizon Labs, directing him with his, with his cell phone, telling him what's going on. Spider-Man's swinging around the city trying to solve stuff. He ends up fighting Flag Smasher. Uh, he gets into it with Silver Sable a little bit. There are visits to various members of the extended Spider-Man family. And it's just kind of expanding the world of New York City and of Spider-Man as the people in Steve Wacker's Spider-Office are so great at doing. We get to see a lot of characters in this book, ostensibly about one guy. It really is a large cast and a large world. And ultimately, it's a very heartfelt and kind of neat conversation between Peter Parker and Mary Jane that helps Peter figure out how he, not Spider-Man, can save the day. I'm not going to spoil all the mechanics of it, but I like how clever this issue is. The art by Umberto Ramos is exactly what you expect, superlative. Uh, Grady gets some great moments. Uh, Julia Carpenter, Madam Webb, former Spider-Woman, gets some great moments. And it's just a cool, this is only two issues long, but it had impact, had some neat little Easter eggs, just a fun little caper, just a fun little adventure, and really showcased why Peter Parker as well as Spider-Man is important. You could read it without any of the other issues of the book, just 678 and 679. Just a great, 
done in two, if you were, and uh, I applaud the creative and editorial teams behind this. Yeah, and the next issue, 679.1, is a great jumping on point uh, if you're not reading Amazing Spider-Man. So get up in that. Also this week, Avengers X-Sanction number three. It's the uh, penultimate issue of the limited series that leads right into AVX. Uh, you've got Cable versus the Avengers. He's already taken down Falcon, he's taken down Captain America, and he's taken down Iron Man. So it's Red Hulk's turn to face uh, my favorite Marvel hero, that is Cable. And he's got Blacksmith with him. Um, there's lots of alternate future craziness. There's some really cool... Easter eggy type stuff in this in a two page spread um, where you're looking into this this horrible alternate future that Cable is trying to prevent. It, it reminds me of Hulk Future Imperfect with little things you can pick up here and there, which I really dug. The the books by Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis, um, who've done so many books together, they are just a terrific team. Um, but in this issue, you've got Cable versus Red Hulk and some some big fight, big crazy action, and Cable is actually able to stop Red Hulk from rampaging all over him, and it sets up some crazy stuff for Cable uh, in, the, in the coming issues. Things could be changing for Cable, uh, who has just come back. We find out that maybe not everything that he knows is absolute. We'll see. Uh, but it ends with the last couple Avengers who want to stop him show up, and next issue is going to bring bring everything to a close and set us up in, in a, in a definite place for what's to come in AVX. So another great issue. And without spoiling it, um, a lot of people were asking where certain non-Avengers characters were during this series. And in this issue, you get to find out a piece of that. Indeed you do. Indeed. (laughs) Also this week, Avengers Academy number 25 by Christos Gage and Tom Grummet. I I believe this is the last issue in the story arc where Hybrid, this horrible, gross, big, purple monster who mixes mysticism and, like, awful mind controlling powers. He's taken over most of the Avengers Academy, and he wants to essentially eat all the kids. It's uh, it's crazy. You've got more alternate future stuff in here. You've got heroes sacrificing themselves. You've got villains being awful. You've got big, great action in the mighty Marvel manner. It's Avengers Academy is just one of those books that we talk about here on the podcast all the time. And we talk about on Twitter all the time as just being a great book to pick up to, to just get tied into the Marvel Universe if you've not been a frequent reader. There's new characters all the time, and it's very accessible at the same time. Yeah, and fun fact about Hybrid, uh, the reason he is in the book is because he is a character who, when Christos Gage was young, Hybrid used to give him nightmares. Uh, I think he appeared in Ron Space Night. So Christos knew when he got to write a Marvel comic, which he has been doing for a little while now, at some point he wanted to use Hybrid in a scary story, which he has now done. Very cool. There's even a reference to the Space Knights in the issue, which is terrific. In Defenders, number three, by Matt Fraction and Terry Dodson. Uh, It's kind of not the wrap of this initial arc. It's going to keep bleeding into future issues. But in a way, the conclusion of this new group's first adventure, pitting them against Null, Breaker of Worlds, uh, trying to prevent him from destroying a creation engine, which will completely mess up our entire universe. You got Red Hulk, Red She-Hulk, rather, facing off against Null. It's a great fisticuffs battle. You've also got Doctor Strange, Matt Fraction's great, creepy Doctor Strange, uh, trying to figure out what's going on. Silver Surfer showing another side as he gets pissed. 
Silver Surfer's been very docile in this series so far. Plus, Namor and Iron Fist doing their thing. Got the little footnotes, which are a lot of fun. Really great art by Dodson. I think he hits his stride a lot in this issue. A lot of big technology, big action. Just a quirky group of characters doing odd things. The Defender's been a neat mix so far. It's characters you don't see together with characters who have uh, great history. So it's a nice, uh, it's a nice combination there. And this was a good issue. Yeah, it's super weird, uh, which I think is is a good fit for the Marvel Universe. We need that really weird book, and I, I like it a lot. And uh, as we've talked about in previous episodes about this book, the some of the pages have little footnotes like back in the 70s and 80s, um, just pointing to other comics that we're producing or things going on in the book or, you know, story continues in a couple pages. And there's one that is terrific that just says, hey, that tiger is flying a spaceship. And yeah. I actually thought, oh, man, that's a tiger flying a spaceship before I got to that. And I was like, Matt Fraction, you're in my brain. Well, is it Matt Fraction, though, or who's editing Defenders? I think that's uh, John Denning, right? John Denning, you're in my brain. One of those two. Maybe they're both in your brain. It's getting crowded up in there. Yeah, it's always been crowded up there. Yeah. Two more. Two more to the pile. In uh, Fear Itself, the Fearless number 8, written by Cohen Bunn with Matt Fraction and Chris Yost, art by Mark Bagley and Paul Pelletier. A little break in the action as we get some backstory on what's going on in the larger Fearless saga. We find out how Sin came to be where she's at now immediately after Fear Itself when she was Scotty. We found out how she hooked up with the DOA, how she got Crossbones back on her side, and now in the present, we learn what's going on with their new alliance with one of our favorites, Damon Hellstrom, uh, in a sequence all done by Mark Bagley, which also features some great cameos, which Fearless has been fantastic for. Colin Boyne loves using obscure characters, and uh, it shows here. On the other side of the coin, the Paul Pelletier illustrated sections, uh, Valkyrie. Wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. Before you get into the Valkyrie stuff, you're talking about the cameos. There's this one page with a whole bunch of characters on it. And as I was reading it, I was like, oh, I got to ask Ben on the podcast, Mm -hmm. are all those characters established or is that just a bunch of new characters that they sort of made up? Because I I didn't know a lot of these characters. I recognize at least a couple of them. Uh Uh-huh. I can see Master Pandemonium, who's an old uh, Avengers West Coast villain, so I'm sure Jim McCann likes him. Yep. He's the dude with his hands are monsters. Yeah, the monster hands. I Mon- knew that guy. Mr. Monster Hands. Yeah. So I'm assuming at least some of these characters are ones, not that we should know, but that we could know. Yeah. Um, he was the one that jumped out at me, so there's at least one. I think the guy behind him with the flames and the like weird tattoos, he looks familiar. I can't place him. So I think these are existing characters. There may be a couple new ones, you know, generic demon types. But knowing Colin Bunn, as I do, which is, you know, okay. I don't know him that well. Um, Knowing Colin Bunn, as I do, he does love him some obscure characters. So I bet he went to his Marvel handbooks and whipped a bunch of these out and threw them on the page. There may have been, you know, Mark Bagley might have drawn in some werewolves here and there. But I bet a bunch of these guys are true. We should uh, we'll we'll tweet Colin when all this is said and done and ask him what's going on. Sounds good. Ideal these guys, but in the Valkyrie section, Valkyrie is going after another one of the Worthy Hammers, and her quest this time brings her to Utopia, where she goes not up against, but she is conspiring with another Valkyrie, Danny Moonstar. But she does end up going up against Emma Frost. You see how that ends for her. We also Emma tries to read her mind, and there's some interesting results there. But the, the uh, issue concludes with 
a prelude of what's to come, which is going to be Valkyrie against Storm. Should be a great fight. Two of the most prominent current female characters in the Marvel Universe and two of the most powerful. So that's going to be a great fight. Good stuff continues from here. We'll have more about Colin Bunn and Paul Pelletier later in the podcast. Hulk number 48 by Jeff Parker and Elena Casagrande uh, has a great cover. Number one by, I believe that's uh, Carlo Pagulian cover, the unfathomable terror, because basically Red Hulk and Machine Man, along with Red She-Hulk, though they don't know it at first, have gone to Zero One's uh, base in the middle of the ocean, and she attacks them with sea monsters, um, as villains are wont to do. And it's a big issue of Red Hulk, Machine Man, Red She-Hulk, fighting against Zero One, fighting against Black Fog, fighting against their zombie sea monster army. It's really a cool showcase of all these new characters Jeff Parker has brought to the Hulk book. So it's a nice chance for him as he approaches issue 50 to take a look back. You also got the ongoing relationship drama between Red Hulk and his daughter, Red She-Hulk. Will they iron things out? Will they continue to just punch each other? Uh, Probably a combination of the two, but you get a little more insight this issue. Jeff Parker's having a lot of fun writing Machine Man, and I'm really intrigued by uh, Zero One and her poor, hapless, skinless assistant who just wants to get out of this whole situation. So if you are looking for some new characters, uh, this Hulk run has been great, and this particular issue and this particular story is a great spotlight on what Jeff Parker has been up to. Also this week, The Punisher number 8 by not Mike Rucka, as our intern Kerry put on our uh, prep sheet for this episode, but Greg Rucka. Right. Mike Rucka is Greg's lesser-known, delightful uh, cousin who mostly works on light comedy. He and Greg are very different. We're we're saying that without any knowledge that that's true. I don't want want Greg to not listen to this and then want to punch been in the head no i have full knowledge that it's not true cool all right so greg rucka and uh marco Cicchetto, another just gorgeous issue of the punisher it's a very um there's a lot of silent panels in this issue it's it's a lot about atmosphere it's a lot about mood it's a lot about showing the story and what's gone on with the punisher's current rampage and um the other characters around it and things are sort of really coming together um all the different characters from the police to the uh the rogue um mobsters to um punisher and everybody else they're all sort of coming together and um it's going to come to a head in the next couple issues and it's bloody and it's it's just it's a great comic really really terrific if uh Maybe capes and superpowers aren't necessarily your thing. You want some grim and gritty stuff. This is just, you can't get better than this. If you prefer capes and superpowers, look no further than Thor, the Deviant Saga, number four, which features Thor, who has a cape, as well as superpowers, uh, teaming up with Virago of the Eternals. Um, Talked a few times about this book on the podcast. The thing I like about it is it gets really into the Eternals mythology. There's a couple of callbacks to Neil Gaiman and John Romita Jr.'s Eternals series here, but basically uh, Thor and Virago head to the Savage Land where they meet up with a guy who who seems like an established character. I have not heard of him before. I I think he's a Kazar enemy. Um, We do get a Kazar guest appearance. Basically, they're trying to save some of their allies and trying to save an Asgardian artifact from the Deviants. In the process, they have to fight some folks in the Savage Land 
cool fight with art by Steven Segovia. Robert Rohde's writing it, and he also delves more into the, the deviants and the secret alliances going on between them, which has always been a fun part of that Marvel race. It's uh, definitely for the hardcore fan, but also, you know, if you just like good action and stuff like that, it's a good book to read. Also out this week, we've got The Return of the Twelve. Uh, because you demanded it, it's been a, quite a long time since we had an issue of The Twelve. Uh, yeah, a couple of years. Yeah, it seems like years. But to that end, we all not only did we release the 12 number 9, we also released a must-have collecting the 12 numbers 7 and 8. So you can catch up if you missed those issues last time they uh, when they were originally released. But we're catching up on the action for these characters, uh, and it's there's murder. There's death. Um, there's really freaking gorgeous art by Chris Weston, a story by Michael, uh, J. Michael Straczynski. Um, but it's it's... There's a mystery going on. Who's dead? Who's been killed? How? Why? How do all the other characters from this misplaced um, band of heroes tie into everything? And um, it's really cool stuff. And it's it's nice to see it actually coming back out again. And we've got a great cover of The Blue Blade by Paolo Rivera. Over in Uncanny X-Force number 21, it is part two of the Otherworld Saga by Rick Remender and artist Greg Ticini. Uh, there's a lot going on in this issue. Remender packs on Candy X-Force with so much stuff. This book took me a long time to read in a good way. Like, you know, some comics you breeze right through. This comic, you got to really, you know, flip back pages sometimes to catch everything that's going on. On one side, you've got Phantom X being put on trial by the Captain Britain Corps for his killing of the child that would be Apocalypse, and you've got Psylocke kind of coming to his aid, coming to his defense against her family. On the other side, you've got Wolverine, Deadpool, and Nightcrawler mounting a rescue attempt, but in the process getting caught up in this huge, massive, other-dimensional, other-world war where the Captain Britain Corps are trying to fend off an army of demonic invaders. It's crazy. There's On, on the one hand, you've got this daring escape by Psylocke and Phantom X and some... Pretty harsh stuff happens to Phantom X that's definitely going to take a toll on his character. On the other side, you just have Wolverine and particularly Nightcrawler from the Age of Apocalypse being able to really strut his stuff against this army. You've got an uh, appearance by Megan with two Gs. Um, and with her, Nightcrawler, and Captain Britain all in the same book, you get some neat Excalibur callbacks. Widget. Yeah, you get Widget. I forgot about Widget. See, that's Can't forget about Widget. So much stuff going on in this book. And then you get a nice... Uh, Cliffhanger ending, nice last page reveal that will lead into what's going on. But this other world arc, man, it's just... Kenny X-Force just keeps getting bigger and bigger. It's it's impressive. Oh, and Deadpool spends most of the issue, all of the issue actually, is a, is a disembodied head and body, which he's done before, but never like this. Never the Rick Remender way. Um, and he gets a lot of fun stuff in as He doesn't get to do much, but, you know, he's still got that mouth on him. He's a lot of fun. Oh, that Deadpool. Also this week, we have Uncanny X-Men number six by Kieran Gillen and Greg Land. Continues the story of the X-Men in Tabula Rasa. Tabula Rasa being this section of uh, Montana that was basically forced through crazy evolution millennia uh, in the span of, of hours inside this, this dome sort of area. And the X-Men go in there to take care of some stuff. In this issue, we actually get a lot of the backstory of the the fauna and flora in this uh, in this part of the world. What 
has gone on, how they've developed, and the, the backstory. Because there's this one giant metal dude who's just trying to blow everybody up, but why? And where does he fit into things? And then there's he's called the the Immortal Man. And then there's um, sort of his flip, the the other side of the coin for him, a character who shows up in this issue that explains everything, and it leads to big battles, great um, character moments with say. Um, with Namor and Hope and Cyclops and uh, Magneto and Storm. It's, uh, it's just another fun, uncanny X-Men issue. Venom number 13 with it. Uh, Venom number 13 brings with it the long-awaited start of the Circle of Four storyline, which is a crazy, fun, mixed-up story where it's, it's this first chapter is by Rick Remender with amazing art by Tony Moore. In future weeks, this is going to be a weekly series shipping for the next five weeks all taking place in the Venom title, also written by Rob Williams and Jeff Parker, but it brings together Venom, Red Hulk, X-23, and the new Ghost Rider in Vegas, where great old Marvel villain, because he's not, he's not, you know, not original, but from the 80s, so old at this point, Blackheart is back in a new incarnation. Uh, he's brought all these characters inadvertently, or on purpose to Vegas to enact a huge spell to bring hell to Earth. But really, the fun of this issue is the interactions between this completely bizarre group of characters, getting to see Remender write all of them. Flash Thompson is at his lowest ebb. He is completely, he's fallen off the wagon. He's losing control of his Venom symbiote. So, of course, this is when Red Hulk shows up in his hotel room to Dragonbach for a court-martial. They have an awesome fight. The Venom symbiote tries to take over Red Hulk, which is... An, Crazy visual, uh, and Tony Moore does it justice. Ghost Rider is being tutored by Johnny Blaze, who is quickly just just this this new version of Johnny Blaze in my in my take. Just the way uh, Rob Williams and now Rick Remender have been writing him, just as this super kind of laid back but also really sarcastic, kind of over the hill hippie. Um, <laughs> just has a great mouth on him. One of my favorite characters. He's trying to tutor the new Ghost Rider, and she's not being too receptive, and some of her actions in this issue come back to bite everyone in the behind. Uh, X-23 is in Vegas because she's tracked down the person who is trying to sell her blood and trying to clone her. I will not reveal all the pieces, how they come together. I will say that there are X-23 clones with symbiotes, which should be enough to sell you on this issue. (laughs) But really, it's just... It's the mashup. It's, it's, it's the black comedy that Remender does so well. The villains are wicked, but they're also funny. The heroes are all not your average, you know, virtuous Captain America types. I mean, these are all flawed, messed up heroes. It's cool to see them all together. They don't all get fully together until the end of the issue. It gets me really excited for part two, but great kickoff to what promises to be a very unique and fun storyline. Yeah. Tony Moore draws uh, Blackheart's human form with a devil lock, a la The Misfits, which I thought was a terrific little touch. I thought that was really cool, really fun. Up next, Villains for Hire, number three, by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, by, uh, penciled by Renato R. Lem. In the last issue, we found out that uh, some some bad stuff's going on. Misty Knight is in uh, in a bad way, I guess. She's playing one group of villains against another group of villains and where does she where do her li- loyalties lie where is she going what is she doing and why is everything happening we sort of get a, a lot more information about all that in this but within the pages the vill- the villains who are facing off with each other 
start to turn their alliances. Some go this way, some go that way. Um, there's lots of explosions, lots of craziness. You actually got Stiltman, who is is a running joke in the book because it's a lady, um, and she keeps wanting to be called Stiltman. But she kicks some ass in this book. She's great. Abnett and Lanning really do do some fun stuff with a character who's always been the butt of jokes. Um, but you've got Scourge, and you've got Purple Man. You've got um, some bad stuff happening for Misty, and it ends with the revelation of who's really behind things, uh, and it's a great twist, and I, I'm very much looking forward to the conclusion of the limited series. Very much, and I talked just a second ago about the long-awaited start of the Circle of Four storyline, perhaps even more long-awaited, Winter Soldier number one. At last, it is Bucky Barnes in his own ongoing series, in his own identity, uh, as it were, the one he supported for years, whether he wanted to or not. And this issue kicks off, just hits the ground running, and it's it's a barn burner. I love it. It's Bucky and Black Widow. Bucky is thought to be dead to the world. He's resumed his Winter Soldier identity. He is working with Black Widow, deep, deep undercover, trying to take down some of the bad guys and plots he encountered during his years under mind control as the Winter Soldier. Uh, Ed Brubaker, who brought Bucky back, I think going on about eight years ago now, is, a, is the writer here, and he kind of does a great job unspooling. For those of you who are picking this issue up for the first time, he really tells you Bucky's story to date, how this kid, you know, came into, was thought to be dead, came under capture by the Russians, became the Winter Soldier, this brainwashed assassin, what he's been going through the past couple of years when he was Captain America, the events of fear itself, gets you all caught up, but tosses you right in to the latest adventure where Winter Soldier and Black Widow, who are romantically involved, are now chasing after Russian sleeper agents placed in the U.S. Um, who are linked to the Winter Soldier. They may basically be more versions of the Winter Soldier. You get a lot of flashbacks where you start to learn the links that we may not know. Even though we've, we've learned a lot about this character in the past few years, there's still a lot of layers of mystery. Uh, it's written very much, you know, like something like the, the Bourne Identity or something like that, just espionage, action, crazy stuff going on. There are Russian guerrillas with machine guns, uh, which can never be a bad thing. But really, as great as Ed Brubaker's writing is, and it's fantastic, this is, you know, him at his best, the art by Butch Geis is what really grabbed my attention here. Uh, Butch Geis has been around comics since the 70s, I think, but this guy is constantly upping himself. Uh, his work here is the best I've ever seen. It's so moody, so just emoting. Like, there are scenes during the action where you, you can you can really feel the kicks and punches. You can see the shadows and how they're dancing off the walls. There are quiet moments between Black Widow and Winter Soldier that are so tender and great. It's like it really brings the book to life. Betty Brightweiser, one of the best colorists in the business for my money, is on color. And she does a phenomenal job. Just the way she shades everything. It's like it really is. This is the Marvel Universe. You know, without getting too cliche, this is the Marvel Universe. This is really kind of the dark, shady side of the Marvel Universe, and this shows through in the art in a way never fully seen before. I was blown away by the art. Everything in this issue, you know, right down to Joe Caramagna's lettering and everything is just, this, this, is, this is how you do this type of comic, and I was incredibly impressed by Winter Soldier. I can't say enough about how good I thought it was from writing to art to the technical aspects right down. 
I think this is going to be a great book. And at the end of the book, we learn that in addition to all these horrible people Bucky has had to deal with thus far, Dr. Doom is going to be coming into the book. So great way to start this new series. Can't speak highly enough about it. Yeah, I, you pretty much stole anything I was going to say about this book. Butch Geis just destroys on this book. This is one of those books that is so beautiful to look at. I just want to, I just want to rip it apart. I want to set it on fire and throw it in a trash can and walk away because I can't handle it. It's so good. Also, you have one of Red Ghost's apes uh, screaming death to America in Russian, and uh, I need more of that in all my comics. Yeah, Nancy was just shaking her head confused because uh, she's never heard you go into one of your I want to destroy this conic because I love it so much rants before. Well, that's just too bad, Nancy. You're going to have to deal with it. But as we know, uh, when it comes to creativity, as we've learned, Ryan wants to destroy the things he loves. So there's no higher compliment to a to a comic than that Ryan just wants to burn it and rip it to shreds. Yep. Speaking of comics, I want to burn and rip to shreds because I love them so much. X Club number three. I, I, I'm just, I look at it and I, I just want to just want to hit someone with it and just make them read it over and over again. It's Cy Spurrier writing one of my favorite limited series of the last couple of years. Paul Davidson doing just amazing, very unique, very, very much his style art. It's super detailed, very clean, thin lines, um, but everything has its own own look and feel that you don't see anywhere else and you've got uh dr nemesis who is just a great character to begin with just completely over the top and amazing and i posted on twitter a day or two ago that uh x club number three has my favorite splash page of 2012 so far and that's in it's like the third page of the book where and I, I don't care i'm gonna say this it's dr nemesis riding a mutated flying atomic shark uh hammerhead shark wearing uh, a suit of like deep sea diving armor screaming science ho and it's just it's incredible and it's it, there's moments like that that are to me testaments to why i love comics so much because they're they can be so over the top but just yes that fine i get that that makes sense Let, let's go keep going along and you know you've got the the x club the science team for the x-men all very quirky, very weird. Dangers had all these different problems over the last, uh, over the miniseries, and in this issue, we actually find out why. And I was like, "Oh snap, that's crazy!" Madison Jeffries finally coming to grips with who he is, what he feels, and what that means to his personality and, and his life. Kavita Rao is sort of like, she's like the pinball stuck in a crazy pinball machine. She's you know, all over the place, having to deal with all these crazy people, trying to keep it together and trying to make sense of it all. And she's she's the perfect straight man in this in this group. I, I can't give this enough high praise. Easily one of my favorite books we have going right now. Yeah, it was a, it was a great, it was another fun, crazy. What the heck are they thinking? Issue, but yeah, it was like you're saying. Doctor Nemesis is such a immense character in terms of how awesome he is. It's easy for him to kind of just take up the room, but I really liked how Spurrier gave, like you said, Madison Jeffries, Kavita Rao and danger all got their moments in this issue. So everyone really shined. It's just a, just a well done comic. Yeah. They, they really do. Everybody gets a, a great place. 
The final book of the week is X Factor number 231 by Peter David and Manuela Lupacino. We, we talk about X Factor, X Factor a lot, and I hear from a lot of fans who like, when you want more love for X Factor, well, we, I specifically, I just absolutely adore this, this series. I think Emanuela Lupacino is one of the finest draftsmen we have going right now. His style um, is just so organic. There's a level of fluidity to it that reminds me a little bit of the Dodsons, um, a little bit of Dale Keown. It's just, it's really great, very detailed, very big superhero stuff. And Peter David is, he's been doing X Factor for how many issues? It's, I don't know. It's it's in the, it's over a hundred, I'm sure. Yeah, it's it's going, I mean, this particular run is going on eight years or almost six, six, somewhere between six and eight. So maybe seven, let's say. There you go. Through all these issues, he's never slowed down. Never, you never feel like he's he's done everything he's going to do with these characters. You've got uh, Jamie Madrox being shunted from one alternate reality to another, dealing with just horrible things everywhere he goes. He's just he dies and gets shunted to another horrible place where something horrible is going to happen to him. But it's it still retains its level of fun and high intensity. And um, especially if you like alternate universes, the, this is a just an absolutely terrific issue to jump into. Absolutely, man. I, I love X Factor. And I, I, again, I'm really impressed how Peter David, like you said, he never quits. He never runs out of story. It's the same way he wrote Hulk for years and years and was always reinventing himself. Same with X Factor. He really loves and gets these characters. And there's, there's, there's never, never a bad issue. All right. So, so we've come in. Yeah. No, no, you go. Go, please. <laughs> we have come to the end of Print Comics on Sale this week. So this is, of course, where we award our Twim of the Week. Dun, dun, dun. We have a couple contenders. X Club was really strong. Uh, X Factor came on strong there at the end. My personal pick, just because I you know, I was gushing about it a second ago, Winter Soldier really stood head and shoulders above for me because of great writing and incredible art. Winter Soldier would be my pick. I think... I, I'm torn between Winter Soldier and X Club, but for the sake of unity, I'll go with Winter Soldier because it's just it is an incredible issue. I hope though that you save a couple bucks and buy X Club number three, and also one buy buy all the issues, just buy them yeah. all. It's 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 always nice when it's a close call. So I think either either X Club or Winter Soldier, flip a coin. Mine landed on Winter Soldier this week, but both are uh, both are particularly good books. Yes, and I think I accidentally said um, Emmanuel Lupacino's art; her art was his art. Yeah, um, you but called, yeah, him, I, I, called her a draftsman. I know. I, I wasn't going to say anything. She's very much a she, not a he, um, and I apologize. But uh, he, she, it doesn't matter. She's amazing artist, just absolutely amazing artist. It's a it's a testament to your integrity that you could just edit that part out, but instead you apologize. Yes. I yes. could edit that out. Hmm. No, I'm gonna leave it in there. Yeah. Yeah. Integrity. Yes. All right. So collections on sale this week, Ben. Why don't you run them down? Yes. Thanks as always to Max Beckman who provides us with this list. We have Avengers Assemble, Volume Two, collecting the second uh, part of the George Perez Kurt Busick series. Avengers Hawkeye, which is the classic Mark Grunewald tale, I believe. We have Fear Itself, Heroes for Hire hardcover, the Incredible Hulk's Fall of the Hulk's hardcover, and we have both John Carter, A Princess of Mars, and John Carter, World of Mars are both out in trade paperback. Yep, and calling back to a couple of episodes ago, we talked about 
the Strike Force Moratori collection that came out. And while on my trip to LA, I took that with me to read on the plane. And I was on a red eye last night, and I actually read like 60% of the book really late at night because it was so compelling and so great. And um, it really does live up to the hype. Ben, you're going to have to borrow that from either myself or John Cirilli. It's, it's Are- really great. Already planned to, my man. Very good. All right. So uh, for all the books that came out this week, we do have some that are available same same day digitally as well as print in stores. So I'm going to run down those. These are the books that are available now on the Marvel app or in print. Amazing Spider-Man number 679, Avengers X-Sanction number 3, Defenders number 3, Fear Itself, The Fearless number 8, The Twelve number 9, Uncanny X-Force, number 21. Uncanny X-Men, number 6. Venom, number 13. Villains for Hire, number 3. Winter Soldier, number 1. X-Club, number 3. And X-Factor, number 231. Now, in addition to the Day and Day digital comics, we also added some older comics to the Marvel Comics app this week. And that included all five issues of Astonishing Thor, the first five issues of Deadpool Corps, Issues 17, 18, and 19 of Secret Warriors. The first three issues of Thor the Deviant Saga, so you can get caught up on that. Speaking of catching up, we also have the first eight issues of The Twelve. So if you want to jump back on board The Twelve with issue number nine out this week, you can read the first eight issues. And finally, we had issues 238 through 241 of X-Men Legacy. Rockin'. Also this week on the Marvel app, we have a bunch of new collections, and now on the Marvel app, we have well over 100 collections available to purchase and download on the app. So on top of all those, we have Avengers, the Kree Scroll War, Captain America, the Death of Captain America, Volume 1, Death of the Dream, Ghost Rider, Road to Damnation, Ex Necrotia, which was a great uh, series that crossed over between X-Force and which books, Ben? New Mutants, X-Men Legacy. There were a bunch of tie-ins and yep. ones and things like that. It was it was mainly X-Force. Though. Yeah, that was a great series, though. Uh, also, The List and Ultimate Spider-Man Volume 6, Venom. Now, of course, if you want to read comics digitally, Marvel Comics app is not the only way you can do it. You can also visit marvel.com and check out our Digital Comics Unlimited section. And here are some of the books we added this week to that. On Monday, we added Iron Man Rapture number 3. And as well as issues 668, 669, 670, and the listed out of order by intern Carrie 667 of Amazing Spider-Man. Firing her twice. (laughs) Plus Ultimate Comics, Avengers versus New Ultimates number three, and issues three, four, and five of Captain America Man Out of Time, plus Doctor Strange from the Marvel Vault number one. Also on Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited this week, Wolverine number 9 and 10 from the current series. Wolverine, the best there is, number 6. Aw, yeah. X-Men number 13 and Age of X Universe number 1. We also have Thor number 619. A little Jane Austen action with Emma number 1. Thunderbolts number 163.1, which is a great issue to jump on into Thunderbolts and get caught up. Onslaught Unleashed number 2. Thor number six eighteen. What is up with these out of order books? It's, uh, that's she's a nightmare. She's she's trying to ruin Marvel. Is what she's I doing. I know. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to her. Please do. I'll have Nancy talk to her because Nancy's been doing a great job. She hasn't messed up yet. 
Fantastic. Just sitting here like a pro. Finish off the digital comics. Finally, tomorrow, Friday the 3rd, we will have issues number three and four of the recent Silver Surfer limited series, Heroes for Hire number four from the most recent series, FF number two, and the Oz Primer. Rock and roll. So that covers all the comics release info we have for this episode, but that's not the end of all the action. Up next, we're going to talk about stuff that's available um, this week outside of comics. So first up, we have Diamond Select Toys Marvel Select Colossus figure. That's in stores right now. It's the 10th anniversary of Diamond Select's Marvel Select line. Uh, the Colossus figure is new. It's eight and a quarter inches tall, has 16 points of articulation, and is pretty rad. We have some images and some cool information about that figure on Marvel.com and if you want to pick it up, head to your local comic shop and ask them to get it for you. Uh, They have the power, you have the money, make it happen. Also this week, We Love Fine Tees expanded their line with Marvel art prints. They're not doing just t-shirts anymore. They have uh, some bags. I know they have Jean Grey school bag, which is super cool. But now they have some prints. They have great ones like a Venom face, some Art Nouveau ladies by Megan Lara, and some others, which has Phoenix and Kitty Pride and um, Psylocke, and then some 80s pop art style ones with Jubilee and whatnot. They're great images, and you know if you want some, some prints to put on your wall, you can expand... Uh, your horizons with those. So we have some more stuff, and we're going to kick it over to Strami, who was supposed to be live on the podcast with us, but had some technical difficulties. So Strami, why don't you take it away uh, with some games and movies information? Hello there, faithful This Week in Marvel listeners. This is Mark Strom, uh, Marvel.com assistant editor out here in sunny, unseasonably warm Los Angeles. And uh, I'm coming at you with news on what's new in games and TV for this week. Uh, In games, we now have Phoenix and Angel, both playable uh, in Superhero Squad Online. Uh, Phoenix is uh, rather awesome, much as you would expect. Is somewhat fierce and very powerful. Uh, Yeah, I actually have not had a chance to play as her yet, but I have seen uh, the character vignette that we released uh, this past Friday on Marvel.com. I have seen her uh, in action in some gameplay and everything, and she looks amazing. She's in her classic uh, green and yellow, green and yellow costume, and she has a rather uh, uh, amusing emoticon where it appears as if she's about to go dark phoenix but then at the last second uh does not but you have to see uh the character vignette on marvel.com uh to sort of see what i'm talking about and angel the x-men's angel he is also in the game and we will have a new character vignette for him going up on Friday of this week. So if you're listening to this on Thursday when this podcast goes live, uh, it will be up on Marvel.com tomorrow. On TV this week, we've got the fourth episode of the Blade anime series on G4. Uh, That's this Friday at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. For those of you who have been following, you know that Blade is sort of on a quest across Asia. Uh, He's tracking down Deacon Frost, the man responsible for both killing his mother and 
giving Blade in the process uh, his sort of half vampire powers. So he's trying to hunt him down. He's come into some rather unique types of vampires that can actually, they're these women who can transform into these weird, best way I can describe it is like the uh, Incredible Hulk villain, uh, uh, the Harpy, I believe she's called. You know, uh, when Betty Ross transformed into that sort of green winged creature, she kind of looks like that. Or, the vampires kind of look like that. Um, and what's cool about this series is that since it takes Blade across Asia, what the creators and writers did with this series was they took um, indigenous vampire myths uh, to certain areas, you know, to Vietnam, to um, Cambodia, I believe they visit, um, I believe they visit Thailand. And they take those, and that's who Blade is fighting. Uh, so that's, and it's just very interesting to see, particularly uh, for an American audience, since we're so used to a certain type of vampire, we're so used to the Dracula mold, if you will, that it's just interesting to see all these different visual takes and different different power sets that come with these vampires. Also on G4 is uh, the Wolverine anime series, which first ran uh, three months or so ago now, three or four months ago now, but we are re-airing it, uh, so we're up to episode four of the Wolverine anime series. If you missed that, check it out. It's Wolverine basically tearing his way uh, first across Japan and then into Madripoor uh, to save the life of the woman he loves. Lots of Wolverine fighting ninjas, lots of Wolverine fighting, I believe he fights uh, Omega Red in this episode. Uh, and uh, the uh, voice of Omega Red in the English language version, I believe, is the same voice actor who did Omega Red in the classic 90s X-Men series. I could be wrong about that but I believe that factoid is correct uh, from speaking with the producers of the anime series. Also, we've got Superhero Squad, uh, which is now on the Hub Television Network weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. That just began this past Monday. It will be airing every weekday, Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Tune in. Uh, you can relive some of the Squy, some of your favorite Squy's adventures. And uh, we'll also be airing a mini marathon this Saturday from 1 p.m. Eastern Time to 3 p.m. Uh, that's four back-to-back -back episodes. That pretty much covers everything in games and TV this week. So with that, I send you back to Ben and Ryan. Awesome. Thank you, Strami, for all that information. We're going to go back to you in a couple moments. But first, Ben, why don't you kick us off with some Marvel news? Yeah, we had some big stuff going on in the world of comics this week. We got our first look at AVX number zero. We debuted on Marvel.com. Some exclusive pages by Frank Cho showing the return of the Scarlet Witch. We also had a very cool Thunderbolt sketchbook, which was many weeks in the making, um, which H&M helped hook up with artist Declan Shalvey, who did not only sketches of the original Thunderbolts as we prepare for Thunderbolts versus Thunderbolts, but also his commentary. And the cool thing about Declan is he is a big Thunderbolts super fan. So drawing this assignment is, is a dream come true for him, and he expresses that in all the 
you know, he, he, he has all the thoughts you'd ask for about, you know, what goes into these characters, not just their visuals, but also what he thinks of them as characters. Yeah, and these, these sketches you're only going to get on Marvel.com. Right. They are exclusive to us. Um, I said I would come back to Cohen Bunn and Paul Pelletier, and I fulfill my promise by saying we talked to Cohen about his upcoming Wolverine run with Paul. Uh, this is the first time he's spoken anywhere about his Wolverine run and gave some of the plans for, you know, what he thinks of Logan as a character, what's going to be going on in his first couple arcs, what Paul's going to contribute. Some really, really compelling reading. It's going to get you really psyched for this upcoming run on Wolverine, which will happen after Jason, run, uh, Jason Aaron's current run wraps. We had a new episode of Marvel Superheroes What The, the final installment of The Incredible Drive, starring the Hulk, Doctor Strange, and the Punisher, and their 2012 Toyota Yaris. We had Chris Yost talking about Scarlet Spider, his new series, which we love, what's coming up beyond issue number one, kind of now that, now that we've gotten past the debut, what is in store for Kane. We had the first part just today of a two-part Omega Effects Q&A, that is the Daredevil, Punisher, Spider-Man crossover coming up in April. We spoke to Mark Wade this week. We're going to be speaking to Greg Rucka next week, but you can check out what Mark had to say. And then finally, we had a ominous piece of art promotion, which all I can say is it's called Spider-Man. It's coming in June 2012. That is all I can say. It's going to be pretty cool. I guess you can say that. Also. <laughs> uh, earlier this podcast, I talked about going out to Los Angeles. So what I did was a global fan chat over Twitter with Joss Whedon, Clark Gregg, who plays Agent Coulson in The Avengers, Joss Whedon, obviously the director of Marvel's The Avengers, uh, Samuel Jackson, who plays Nick Fury in The Avengers, and uh, Tom Hiddleston, who plays Loki in The Avengers. We got together. Tom was in the UK in his home, but he uh, took some time out of his busy schedule to chat with the fans and chat with us. Uh, we were we were hanging out. We were just getting questions in from the fans and posting them out. It was a lot of fun. We had some photos that we posted. You can catch up on the entire Global Fan Chat at marvel.com slash Avengers slash Assemble. Or you can also follow Avengers on Twitter. It's just at Avengers. And that is uh, a new feed. We just started on Friday, and we already have over 20,000 followers on it. We're having a lot of fun with it. Uh, we're picking Avengers fans of the day. We're doing trivia. We're doing Avengers facts. There's some prizing and some contests that uh, our friends at Disney have helped us out with. There are um, a lo- There's a lot more to come from that, but... The Avengers stuff has all been leading to, um, we released a 10-second teaser of our Super Bowl 46, is it 46? Super Bowl 47. 47. 47. From uh, from Nancy there. All right, Super Bowl 47 teaser. We're going to have a TV spot during the Super Bowl this coming weekend, and we want you to watch the Super Bowl to check out the the, uh, TV spot, but we put 10 seconds of it on the Marvel YouTube, so you go to youtube.com slash Marvel, or again, you can go to twitter.com slash Avengers to watch the teaser. It's got uh, it's got some Hulk, and it's got some other stuff that you've not seen before, and it's you're going to get a lot more action this coming weekend. But uh, I checked the views earlier. It already had over 1.1 million views in less than 24 hours, which seems pretty good, pretty good. We're, we're doing a lot of fun stuff with Avengers in the next couple months as we lead to the May 4th arrival of the film in theaters. Um, so we hope you guys are digging it. And if, if you want more Avengers stuff, just keep telling us. Um, but 
speaking of more Avenger stuff, we're going to kick it to Stromy now, who's going to show us some of his news. Thanks again, Ryan. So this week in movies and uh, toys news, we had this past Thursday, I believe, about a week ago today, we had five new images from Marvel's The Avengers. Uh, We had two excellent shots of Samuel L. Jackson looking killer as Nick Fury, as well as a shot that looks to be somewhat of a quiet moment between Scarlett Johansson and Jeremy Renner, who play the Black Widow and Hawkeye, as well as another shot of... Uh, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark and Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner looking their ponderific best and a fifth shot that I believe, yes, was a shot of uh, Nick Fury again and Chris Evans as Steve Rogers in the inside of a gym. So you can check those all out on Marvel.com. Get another glimpse of Marvel's The Avengers. Uh, Try and maybe see where you think each image falls in the film and what is going on in them. In other movies news, today, if you're listening to this on the day this podcast goes up, Thursday... We will have a video and a few details on a uh, mysterious Amazing Spider-Man movie event that is happening on uh, this Monday, uh, February 6th. Uh, Go to theuntoldstorybegins.com to learn some more details on that. Uh, You can come to marvel.com and see a little video of some interesting images that were projected on the sides of buildings all across the world uh, this past week, since about this past weekend. And yes, uh, you'll be getting more news on The Amazing Spider-Man from Marvel.com come early next week surrounding that event that is uh, again on Monday, uh, February 6th, uh, that uh, fans all across the world can sign up and go and see some never-be-seen foot, never-before-seen footage from the film. So yes, it should be exciting. In addition to that, moving over to TV, we just announced yesterday that Astonishing X-Men Dangerous is coming to DVD on April 10th. This is the second chapter in Marvel Knights Animation's adaptation of Joss Whedon and John Cassidy's Astonishing X-Men run. This arc, uh, for those of you who remember, is the one that introduced uh, the character who is now appearing in a uh, books such as the X-Club and X-Men Legacy Danger, who is the personification of the uh, the old Danger Room from the uh, X-Mansion. But <coughs> this is only the second part in that uh, overall Whedon Cassidy epic. Marvel Knights Animation, of course, will be adapting the rest of it. Uh, so this is just the... F- uh, the first of three new DVDs that will be coming out 
over the course of the uh, future uh, that will bring the complete uh, Astonishing X-Men run to uh, Marvel Knights Animation. Uh, and for those of you who haven't seen the previous uh, series, Astonishing X-Men Gifted, uh, which is also out on DVD right now, and adapts that first arc by Whedon and Cassidy. Um, Marvel Knights Animation, it's really incredible. They, they animate the comic using the actual art from the comic becomes very seamless. Um, this is something, you know, we've done, I believe this is our sixth Marvel Knights animation series, and it's just incredible to watch the process evolve, and each series gets better and better as it goes along, and as we sort of, like, you know, learn how to do more things, and the technology gets better. It really is, is quite... Um, well, I was going to make a bad pun and say astonishing, but uh, let's just skip over that. And moving from TV over to toys, this past week we also brought you a uh, behind-the-scenes look uh, from Diamond Select Toys at Marvel Select's Amazing Spider-Man movie figure. We brought you, you know, images of the uh, uh, main prototype as well as some of the design uh, work that Gentle Giant Studios did with their digital sculpting. Uh, so you can see the unpainted uh, Amazing Spider-Man figure along with the hanging base that comes along with it over on Marvel.com right now. And we also brought you a look at uh, Marvel Select's uh, Hawkeye figure that they will be releasing from the Avengers movie. Uh, Hawkeye is just one of two, or I'm sorry, three figures that uh, Diamond Select will be releasing as part of their Marvel Select line from the Avengers movie. They will also be releasing a Hulk uh, figure that uh, has not yet been seen and a uh, mystery villain figure. And yes, uh, speaking of Diamond Select Toys, if you're listening to this today on Thursday, uh, tomorrow at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, we'll be having a live blog in which we'll be chatting with Zach Oat from Diamond Select Toys, and we'll be showing off some cool new Marvel Select stuff, as well as some cool new Marvel Mini Mates stuff that Diamond Select Toys produces. So you won't want to miss that because you'll be getting some, uh, uh, some never-before-seen looks at some very cool stuff. And uh, at the same time, you'll have the opportunity to uh, chat with Zach about Diamond Select Toys. You know, you uh, ask them, you can ask him about the process of, you know, bringing the Marvel Select and Marvel Main Mates together. Uh, the, you know, what Diamond Select Toys has and its future for Marvel figures and Marvel main mates. Um, yeah, and should be a good time all around. I'll be there. Uh, I think Agent M, uh, Ran Panagos will be there. And yes, it should be enjoyable. And I believe that is all for uh, movies, TV, and toys news for this week. So with that, I wish you all a good day. And I want to thank you for listening. And with that, I send it back to Ryan and Ben. Thanks, Drami. Yeah, guys, check out the Diamond Select Live blogs. 
Um, and we're going to be doing a lot more live vlogs uh, spreading out from what we do with comics. So a lot of fun with those, and, and I'm very psyched for these. All right. Up next, we're going to finish off the podcast with our section of questions from you, the fans. You know, Brian, before we dive into the questions, I've got something to say. These questions. That is, you know, we, we, we've got our regular contributors. We appreciate them very much. But speaking of regular contributors, I know for a fact one of our one of our number one fans, Miss Marvel Girl, still listens to the podcast because she still comments on it. But she has not asked us a question in weeks. Ever since she talked about not liking Executioner's song, and we kind of, you know, bagged on her a little bit from that. And I, I just want to know what's going on. Has she been alienated? Has she has she given up on us? She's still listening, so I'm I'm losing sleep over it. Yeah, we need questions. Although she does still sort of live tweet and um, speaking, which of, is nice. Don't get me wrong. Well, one of the I, I'm going to point out one of her tweets. Last uh, a couple days ago, she was catching up on episode 13 of the podcast, and she tweeted, "Never read a Fantastic Four book, but when this week in Marvel mentioned that Johnny Storm was alive, I picked up 600 through 602. My twim of the week is definitely Fantastic Four number 602, and I think that is is really important for us, for me, to see that we're talking about these books, and you guys are actually." going out, checking out these books, and enjoying them. Um, we know you're going to enjoy them. We, we know comics. We love comics. We want you to like these books as much as we do. So seeing Jen enjoy Fantastic Four as much as we do is great. And I was at Marvel Studios yesterday explaining – I was actually explaining um, Ms. Marvel Girl's tweet to Will Pilgrim who works in our studios and uh, on development of movies and saying, you know, this is what we do with This Week in Marvel and it's really cool. We're actually seeing feedback from the fans – who are checking out the stuff that we're recommending. And he was like, oh, my God, that's great, and let's do some more. And so we're going to have some more Marvel Studios stuff uh, working with him and some more stuff for the podcast. In large part, it's because of the fans who are so important to us, who are so communicative and so uh, involved in what we're doing with this podcast. So thank you, guys. Well, I guess I guess in that case, I, I – I can't really be too angry at Miss Marvel Girl. No. Nope. Um, although I would still like to know what she thought of Executioner's Song. Did she read it? I don't know. The last thing she wrote about it is she said she said something about Extinction Agenda, um, <laughs> but she spelled uh, Extinction with a with a K. I think deliberately. Oh man! To try to make fun of us. Mm. So. I don't know if she got the two storylines confused or if she's far more clever than us. Probably the latter, but. Just, just let us let us know, Miss Marvel Girl, what's going on. You know, yeah. appreciate the comments, but but ask ask us stuff. We miss you. One more random thing before we get into the actual questions. When I was at Marvel Studios yesterday, I was talking with Chris Baker, who's one of our manager, his manager of licensed games for Marvel, and uh, he was showing me some Marvel pinball stuff that we haven't talked about yet. But uh, I did say, hey. I think we really should have an executioner song, Marvel pinball table. And he laughed, but then he started thinking about it. I don't think it's ever going to happen, but if it does, I'm going to get a million dollars for having that idea. I don't see that happening, but maybe, I I mean, I can see it maybe happening, the idea, but not you getting a million dollars. That's for sure. (laughs) But that should be reward enough. Yeah. But uh, I have to tell you some Marvel pinball stuff offline. Oh, cool. Fun. Can't wait for everyone not to hear that, that but me. That's always the best. 
All right, so we're going to go into questions. The first one is from Dirty Lash, who says, Who was the first superhero in Marvel? In our timeline and the comic timelines, and hopes that makes sense. It does. Uh, it does make sense. You know, it's interesting. It kind of comes down to technicalities in both cases. Because in the case of our timeline, Namor and the original Human Torch debuted around the same time. Um, I think Namor technically, like months, uh, a month or two earlier. But since Namor wasn't really a superhero per se when he debuted, he was more of an anti-hero. Uh, it's hard to say... You know, what, was he the first superhero? But definitely I would say one of those two. In terms of our publishing timeline, it would be Namor or the original Human Torch. They predated Captain America and the other Golden Age heroes by a little bit. Didn't they both first appear in Marvel Comics number one? They did both appear in Marvel Comics number one, but the Namor strip in Marvel Comics number one was actually reprinted mm-hmm. from um, something called Motion Picture Funnies, yes. which was kind of like a, a newspaper strip. So technically Namor beat him by a little bit, but they did both officially appear in Marvel Comics number one. In terms of in comic timelines, that again gets back to, you know, what do you consider a superhero? Is it a guy with superpowers and tights? Is it, you know, do the cowboy heroes count? Does Imhotep count? Because he was the first technical agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, you know, you gotta you gotta think about stuff like that. And if you want to go even further back, you know, technically Thor was around years and years and years ago. So I'm not entirely sure of the answer to that one. That would take a little more research. Yeah. And there, yeah, there's definitely a lot to, that's, that's to figure out. Yeah. But it's a yeah. great question. I love that. All right. So another question from dirty lash is if the normal universe is six, one, six, what number is the ultimate universe? Um, well, first of all, do you know the answer to that? I don't actually. I, d- I do know the answer. Well, yeah. how did we come to that answer? Is then my question. Well, the explanation of why the Marvel Universe is 616 is actually from the old Alan Moore Captain Britain comics, where, as we were just talking about, about Uncanny X-Force today, there's a whole Captain Britain core. They're based in a place called Otherworld, which is kind of a nexus for every dimension in the Omniverse, uh, all the different realities. So each Captain Britain has their own reality to look after, and they have them numbered. Um, and our universe is 616, or our Marvel universe is 616. I don't know if there's a significance to that number uh, beyond just that it's what Alan Moore felt like calling it, but that's... Was it Alan Moore or Chris Claremont? I thought it was Alan Moore, his original stuff. My gut says Chris Claremont. It's a Chris Claremont um, thing. We could both be wrong. We could both be right, but I think I'm right, as I usually am. (laughs) It's definitely. I think we can agree that it came from a Captain Britain story. Yeah, it was well, definitely tied heavily to Captain Britain, either by Alan Moore or Chris Claremont. And it's definitely six one six was the first one established. And since they wrote that, you know, we referred to the Marvel Universe as six one six. And when a new universe is created, it'll be assigned a number. And usually, the only way you'll ever see what those numbers are is if you're reading like an official handbook to the Marvel Universe. Because I think actually those guys just arbitrarily assign a lot of them, and then that becomes canon. I think you're right. Actually, it goes back to the UK Captain Britain stuff. I think there's yeah. some some back and forth, but it's been heavily used in in Chris in Claremont's work as well. Apology accepted. Uh, anyways, mm. the 
the ultimate universe, I know just because we have it listed in the system we use to post stories when we're, when we're tagging characters in different stories, is 1610. Oh. So it's all ones and sixes with an O thrown in there. But yeah, the ultimate universe is 1610. There's go and, go and read like one of our official handbook, A to Z's or something sometime. Just, just look at, particularly when they get to the teams or when they do a summary, they have a ton of universes categorized and I'm sure it's online somewhere, but I don't know how much of it official is it official and how much of it is arbitrary. Right. Gotcha. And the 616 designation is not something like hardcore that we use as a company. It's yeah. more like in some books and some fans really latch onto it and it's fine to use it. It's just not like not, not hardcore Marvel thing. Yeah, it's not something like we don't build something as this takes place in six one six. Generally, it's it's usually just you know it's it's a shorthand way for fans who know the number. Although it's strange that like some creators use it just in their conversation. It's interesting to see which ones because you can tell. Well, they're big nerds when they do. Exactly. Yeah. Dan Slott uses it. Big nerd. Yeah, and Dan Slott's a huge nerd. That's why we love him. Sure, you know some newer creators have no idea what it means. Yeah. All right. Next question from Comics Dude One asks: How much does this podcast cost Marvel slash you guys to produce and distribute, or is it for free and a labor of love? <laughs> well, Comics Dude One, our budget is. Let me. I'm trying to like do the math right here. It's um, zero. We we don't have any money put into it. It's a labor of love. You know, it's something we do because we love Marvel and we're really passionate about this stuff and. We just wanted an avenue to get some more information out and and really touch on um, a place where we really weren't doing much regularly. Uh, as oh, as I always state, Jeff Sutter's Mighty Marvel podcast is terrific. It just it's not very regular because he's got like nine billion things to do as our senior art director for publishing. So this was a good way for us to you know find find a way to get some content out on podcasts plus we like talking about comics and uh and all kinds of other stuff and then we can interact with the fans so it just it sort of came up naturally um so we just do it on you know when we can and with uh the easiest ways we can that should pretty much answer it yeah i think so all right couple from rcs underscore t robert asks curious if your wives are into comics what thing what do they read uh, if they are, let's see. My wife is very much into comics. She was into comics before we started dating. Um, I gave her a graphic novel on our first date. It's not a Marvel book, so I'm not going to name drop it here, but it was something that we had both been into, uh, and we had talked about before meeting and she couldn't find a copy. So I gave it to her and then boom, we got married a day later and she's <laughs> laughing at me, but not a day later. We, uh, you know, it just, that worked out. And she reads, I bring home every book that we publish and she reads, I would say 90% of them. And if she doesn't, she doesn't read the whole book. She flips through them to catch up and see what's going on. So she very much loves comics. Yeah, my wife is not as into comics as Ryan's, um, <clears throat> although she came from having no interest whatsoever before she met me to she does actually read some books now, not to that degree, but she'll read like on and off. If I if I say if I find something, I think she'll like she'll check that. I know she loved Runaways and she loved Astonishing X-Men, the original stuff. She does have a character named after her, but it's not a Marvel character. Mm-mm. So I'll not repeat it here. 
but yeah, she'll and she and and she loves the movies and the TV shows and stuff like that. Yeah, every who doesn't love the movies and shows? <laughs> who doesn't? Mm. All right, another one from RCS underscore T says, Ben and Agent M, if you made Strami into a superhero, what would his costume look like, and what is his name? Um, well, I think his name would be Lord Stromulus. He would be a, a villain. He would, in my mind, he has a lavender colored costume with a big flowing cape and a sort of Dr. Doom-esque mask, but it, you can see he can pull it back and you can see his face and he's he's always beaten by Squirrel Girl. You know, he's very much like Dr. Doom. Oh, yeah. In my head. His vanity, his arrogance is his fatal downfall. He rules a small European country. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like one-to-one. Yeah. I, I, that's That's pretty spot on. That's a good one for him. I would actually... 180 that a little bit as you know you can 180 things a little bit as a <laughs> um, and say he would actually be squirrel boy and have the exact same costume as squirrel girl like same unitard and everything and he would be a former enemy that she reformed and now he's like her buddy um yeah. And I want to see him rock this at San Diego next year. Totally. I was when I was in Marvel Studios yesterday because Stromy works out in our LA office for me. He uh, he has a tiny little squirrel statue on his desk, and I didn't question it. I said, "All right, this is how he's coping with his fear of squirrels, and that's great. Good for him. Yeah. Taking the bull by the horns or the squirrel by the tail." Yeah. Keep on keeping on, Stromy. Yep. All right. Question from. A-L-X-G-M-L. Will there be a new X-Men cartoon anytime soon? I enjoy the Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes and would like an X-Tune. Last X-Men cartoon we had was uh, Wolverine and the X-Men, and that finished after a season, unfortunately. Just the funding wasn't there for a season two. A bunch of things happened. Whatever, whatever, that's over with. Um, The only thing I believe we have is the Astonishing X-Men Marvel Knights animation. There are no current plans for anything otherwise. But if you have Netflix, you can check out all the old X-Men cartoons. It's true. Available on uh, instant streaming, whether it's the 90s cartoon or X-Men Evolution or Wolverine the X-Men. It's all available. Yeah. And there's like 900 episodes of the 90s X-Men cartoon, so you can watch that for quite a while. Yeah. All right. Question from DC McGinnis 37 do we know what the cause of the AVX storyline is yet? What are they fighting? Why are they fighting? Uh, can't say exactly why, but we've certainly put it out there that there are certain things that are key to it. One is the Phoenix. Another one is Hope. And you can try to put those pieces together and kind of determine for yourself. You'll, you'll find out soon enough uh, in April. Of course, in March, we've got AVX number zero. This gives you a little background on Hope as well as Scarlet Witch will also play a role. But you'll see very quickly. I mean, we've read the scripts through issue six now. And uh, we know that very, very quickly you're going to find out why they're fighting. It doesn't take long for the conflict to go. This is not a slow building. Everyone stands around talking for a while series. They get to the action pretty quick. Yep, totally. All right. Question from Brad the YM. I have seen a lot of Hawkeye in a number of issues. Is this common for him? Is he trying to challenge Spidey and Wolverine for most used character? Um, You know, the thing is, so many of our creators absolutely love Hawkeye. 
they grew up in a time when Hawkeye was, you know, a hardcore part of the Avengers or he was leading the West Coast Avengers or, you know, what have you. So they, there's a lot of reverence for Hawkeye that now they get to play with because he's just been built up a little bit in the last couple of years. Yeah, I was actually thinking the other day how uh, how prominent Hawkeye's become. I mean, he's had a run of solo series the last few years, but now he's going to be in Secret Avengers. Uh, he's also in Avengers. He's also in Avengers Assemble. He's going to be in the first arc of the Captain America team-up book. So Hawkeye's definitely got a, a profile. But Hawkeye's always been a he's always been a very popular character. You know, something's interesting that Tom Brevoort told me once is that if I understand, you know, Hawkeye's a very old character. He goes back to the '60s and. Before there was a Wolverine, Hawkeye essentially was Wolverine. He was like the rebel, cool, anti-authority character. And even though these days, you know, he's a veteran hero, he's a little calmed down. I think a lot of creators still remember him as that guy. And like Ryan said, they always want to play with him. And he's he's a lot of fun. He's a normal human, ostensibly, who's running with superheroes. He's got a fun attitude and he's just a he's a great character of course he'll be in the movie next year this year this year here oh god it's 2012 already yeah should do we're like we're less than three months away it's happening it's real there's no stopping it now Uh yeah a lot of hawkeye love yeah um all right so there's that question then we have a couple from amazing jr87 wants to know how big of a role will gambit play in avx well i know you're hoping he has a huge one sure because i sure do love that gambit i have not i don't know the exact plans and there's going to be a lot of tie-in books obviously um gambit will be in the event but his actions may be more confined to x-men legacy so stay tuned on that but gambit will definitely be involved i he doesn't i'm not i'm not gonna lie and say he has a huge role because he doesn't but every X-Man has a role, and Gambit is no exception. Yep. Uh, similar question from Amazing JR87. How big of a role will Maria Hill play in the Avengers? But I don't want to say specifically how big of a role. I mean, she's, a, she's an important character. She's a, a high-ranking member of S.H.I.E.L.D. She works closely with uh, you know, Nick Fury and Agent Coulson and the rest of the team. She's definitely playing a big role in the film. How big, I, I don't know off the top of my head question from the Arnie C. Um, The question is really about some stuff that we haven't put out there officially. Swag and different things that are surrounding the Avengers. Um, Because we haven't talked about that stuff, there's really no information I have for you. Um, When we do announce anything that we're doing as far as promotional items, we'll have more information, but uh, I think we have to get through Toy Fair, which is in two weeks. Um, as we get through a lot of the, the cool action figures and toys and, and big stuff past that and we get closer to the to the window when the movie opens, that's when we'll be able to talk about this stuff more. So hold tight. Anything that you see out there is potentially just a rumor, not true, unlicensed, blah, blah, blah. So until we start talking about it, don't believe it. All right. Final two questions from Kareem Harper. Hello, Kareem. So first one is, he says, film. Loki plus Skrulls rumor? Would that explain Cap versus Thor forest fight in the trailer? Well, Kareem, and this goes for anyone out there, Kevin Feige, president of Marvel Studios, went out publicly saying that there are no Skrulls in Marvel's The Avengers. That is law. There are no Skrulls in the film. Done. Game, set, match. 
another thing that we, another rumor we squashed this week during the Avengers global Twitter chat. Uh, yes, yesterday, man, this week was crazy for me. It was yesterday during the chat. A fan asked Joss Whedon about Spider-Man because uh, apparently there's some ridiculous rumor that Spider-Man would be in the film, and Joss went out and said, "No, Spider-Man is not in the movie." That is completely squashing that rumor. So those are two things that we can definitively say are not in the film. Done. Boom. Gone. All right. Final question. This one from Kareem Harper again. Do the events in Battle Scars have any impact on AVX? If not, which series should we follow to get more out of that? Well, there is major things coming up in Battle Scars. I know exactly where it's going. It's going to be a fun journey. And to say where it's going to pick up, I think, would be spoiling the ending and the revelations a little bit. But needless to say, when you see the last few issues and the things you learn, it's not something that will end with Battle Scars ending. And once you see it, you'll have a pretty good idea of where, where it goes next. Is that AVX? Uh, possibly. But it could be a number of other places too. I just say read Battle Scars through the end and comment you're reading great story and definitely something that will have implications beyond just the final issue. Yep. All right. So that finishes up questions. Uh, we do want to add one piece of clarification. Earlier in the podcast, we talked about the Super Bowl, uh, whether it was Super Bowl 46 or 47, and I said 46. But then Smarty Pants intern Nancy said it was 47. And then later on, she tweeted that she's at Super Bowl 46. She read the Roman numerals incorrectly. Mm. She's now fired. Yes, just to, just to understand, uh, we are actually recording this podcast in parts. So from when she made her little statement to now, hours have, hours have passed. There has been time for reflection and tweeting and she's, she's realized the error of her ways. Unlike earlier when Ryan said that Chris Claremont created 616 and he immediately was able to realize his mistake. Yeah, something like that. We'll go with so, that. Yeah, I don't know. Something along those lines. Sure. Yeah. You can edit this later. <laughs> um, all right. So that wraps up This Week in Marvel, episode number 14. Thank you to Nancy and Kerry, our awesome interns, for helping us put this all together. Thank you to Strami for dropping some knowledge from the West Coast. Thank you to Ben. And um, we're going to have a lot of cool Avenger stuff in the next couple days. Uh, there's going to be some The Amazing Spider-Man movie stuff in the next couple days. There's going to be some crazy stuff all around. Uh, lots of fun Marvel stuff, and we're going to talk about more of this on next week's episode. But make sure you tweet us, agent underscore M, or uh, at Ben J. Morse, or at Marvel. Just make sure you use the hashtag, This Week in Marvel. One word, uh, so we can see your questions and comments and, and you know... We do this podcast for you guys, so what you like, what you don't like, what you want to do, what you want to see, questions you have, et cetera, et cetera. It helps make this podcast better. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Have a good night. This is Marvel, your universe.